What's going on, people? It's your boy, Kalechi, back with another episode of the Ramblin' Mind Podcast. How are each and every single one of y'all doing today? I hope y'all are staying safe. I hope y'all are taking care of yourselves. I hope y'all are doing all the things you know you ought to do during these times. I hope y'all are just staying safe, most importantly, because apparently we're getting this Delta variant of the COVID virus, and ah, man, I'm just ready for this whole thing to be done with. But anyway, anyway. The most important thing about today is we have a special, special, special guest coming on the podcast. I like to say that I like to learn from people. Really, I like to steal from other people that I think are impactful and have really good information to be shared. And one of those people are coming on the podcast today. I have been watching his YouTube channel for over a year now, and he started a podcast recently, and I've been an active listener to his podcast, and I've just been stealing a lot of information from him. And I was like, you know what? Let me steal him away for like a little bit of time so I can just get him all to myself and learn as much as I can from him and then maybe share it with you guys. But to be honest, I'm being selfish right now. I just want this for myself so I can get a little bit of insight into who he is, why he does what he does, and so that I can also understand how his mind works when it comes to this whole game of investing. But anyway, please help me and join me in welcoming Tom Bodica of Investing with Tom's YouTube page and podcast to the show. And right now, everybody should be clapping. Like every single person that's out there listening to this should be clapping their hands because this is a very important moment. And I, I appreciate you having me on the podcast. That's a, uh, that's one of the best introductions for me I've ever heard. So thanks. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, before we get into any other question, I wanted to ask you this. Who are you outside of YouTube, Instagram, podcasting, and all that other stuff? Um, yeah, I think I'm just, uh, I, I like to think I'm just like a normal Kiwi New Zealand guy. Like I, I don't have a, I don't have a formal background in investing or personal finance or anything. I actually studied a degree in agricultural science of all things, and I still work in the agricultural industry so um yeah i mean outside of work i enjoy um lifting weights like i competed in powerlifting and strongman for a little while still doing a bit of, still doing a bit of that uh like to go fishing all the kiwi outdoors you know classic new zealand bloke kind of stuff that that's what i tend to do outside of work i think i heard on one of your podcasts where you were talking about like if there was one thing if money if you had all the money in the world one thing you wanted to buy was like a boat is that, i guess that's yeah, because of the fishing 100%. and everything <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I don't get to go fishing as much as I would like to, but, um, been pretty lucky. My, um, my family has a, has a place that I can sort of escape to over summer right at the very top of the North Island of New Zealand. If, if anyone's familiar with the North and South Island of New Zealand, um, and it's a, say I am not. <laughs> okay. Well, you'll have to check that out on Google maps later, but, um, Absolutely. it's sort of like a very, it's a very narrow, um, part of the country. So it's like, um, East coast to West coast is like a 30 minute drive kind of thing. Like that's how okay. narrow uh, the wow. country is up there. So there's a lot of coastline to explore. Lots of really good fishing, which, which I enjoy. Well, that's pretty cool. So I'm guessing like, that's one of the goals of like, once I'm, once I hit this freedom thing, I'm mm -hmm. just going to be out here fishing every single day. I'm be off <laughs> out on the lake, just casting and just trying to catch fish every single day. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> I mean, I, I hope I don't. I hope if I get to that position, I don't get sick of it after a couple of weeks. Or something. <laughs> have, to, have to see how I go. Awesome, awesome. So I just want to start off with this. Uh, what got you into creating content on YouTube and just putting content out about investing, about personal finance, and all of these things that you're doing on different social platforms? 
Mm. Yeah, it's weird, man. Like I, I've, um, like I say, I had I had no background in investing, and um, I sort of got started with investing mainly in the stock market or the share market, as people call it in New yeah. Zealand. Um, sort of a few months into my first job, so I did a four year degree at uni. Was kind of basically started at zero or I guess like negative tens of thousands of dollars if you include my student loan, I suppose. So kind of started at that point, um, had a few thousand dollars saved up, you know, a few months into my first job and then was kind of figuring out, you know, what do I do with this? I, I did some very basic like back of the envelope numbers on, you know, if I earn um, a certain amount per year and I work for 40 years and I can save some percentage of that, the number I was kind of coming up with at the end was... Um, like a lot smaller than I'd hoped it would be. <laughs> you know, probably, probably not enough to live on. So I was like, something's not adding up here. Like how are people becoming multimillionaires, you know? Um, and then I eventually figured out it, it has to do with actually investing your money and trying to grow it over time. Yeah. So um, yeah, I became interested in investing in shares kind of as a result of that. Real estate wasn't really an option at the time, just with the, you know, the dollars I was working with yeah. um, back then. So got interested in that. And then in terms of, sharing it on YouTube, I mean, there's a pretty big like real estate investing community in New Zealand. Um, that's a massive goal for a lot of people here is to own their own home or maybe even buy a rental property after that. Yeah. Um, but there's really not a huge community when it comes to investing in businesses like in, in public markets. So YouTube was almost like an outlet for me to uh, talk to the people that I can't find in real life kind of thing, as odd as that sounds like, you know, I, I can't find I, my friends are not interested in this stuff. Uh, people at work aren't interested in this stuff. So let's, let's speak to the people of the internet and, and see if anyone finds me. So that was kind of how I got started on YouTube. That's definitely like, that's one of the beautiful things about the internet. It's like, you start off and you're like, man, I'm really interested in this thing, but it seems like mm. I'm the only one who cares about it. So who can I talk to about this and how can I learn more about it? And then he's just like, you're like, well, if I can't find anyone, I might as well just put myself out there. And then you yeah. find different communities and you're like, Oh, you also care about this. I'm not so weird after all. This is not just me. That's all here being talking about PE ratios and stocks and yeah. shares and companies and <laughs> profitability and all this stuff. But there's other people who care about this just as much. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing how niche you can go on YouTube. Like yeah. it's not that I'm talking about money. It's that I'm talking about investing and I'm not really talking about investing. I'm talking about investing in shares and I'm not really talking about investing in shares. I'm talking about value investing. And I'm almost not entirely talking about value investing. I'm talking about like Warren Buffett, Monish Pabriah style value investing. So we're getting the funnel is getting smaller and smaller of people that are potentially interested in this stuff. Yeah. But um, somehow people still track you down, which is, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I love, I love just like, I know like for me, when I, when I like last year, when I started like, you know what, I want to learn a little bit more about the, the stock market thing. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, I had just basically just been doing like my, somebody told me when I first started working, they were just like, yo, say as you give, save. And they were just basically like 10% of whatever you, you make, save it and do mm -hmm. your company 401k. And that's all the advice that I ever got. So I was just doing that passively. And then last year I was like, you know what? Maybe maybe I should try this stock thing a little bit more and learn a little bit more. And then you go on YouTube and you just search like how to invest in stocks. And luckily I found uh, Brandon from New Money. And that was like one of the first people that yeah, I found. Cool. And I was like, oh, I like this style. Like this style of investing, it, it speaks to me a lot more than a lot of the other stuff. And that really like gravitated to me. And then from him, I found your channel and found your, your stuff. I think you did. I was still like trying to learn and you did a video on how to do a discounted cash flow, And mm -hmm. that was like, 
yo, I like this. I finally, because as an engineer, one of the things is like, I'm always looking for formulas for everything. Like, I'm like, yeah. I don't want to just focus on just my intuition. I'm like, I need a formula. I need something concrete, which now I'm understanding more and more and investing. It's not always going to be like, here's your solution to the answer. And so yeah. and found your channel and that, that just opened me up in the whole thing. So I know you just talked about you trying to pay off. I mean, going through the, the, the journey of student loans and then that took you on this whole journey. But how has that how have you gotten from where you were to where you are now and just like learning more and more and more? What were some of the books that you learned or you read and some of the things that you picked up along the journey of just like starting with negative net worth? Because that yeah. number is always shocking, like. You're like, yeah, I'm good. I have a job. Everything is wonderful. And then somebody tells you about like, oh, go do a budget and do a network statement. And then you're like, I'm broke. <laughs> it's <just laughs> yeah. like this shocking thing that hits everybody's mind. So how have you been able to progress from where you started to where you are now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I don't want to come, off, come across as some like multimillionaire or anything. I'm nah. still only four or five <laughs> years into this thing. But um, yeah, it's just, um, it's just sort of been a gradual process of learning. Like I find that I can... If I, if I find stuff that I'm interested in, I tend to get quite obsessed with it, to be honest. So I think investing kind of turned into one of those things. So it's just reading like pretty much every minute that I'm in the car. If I'm traveling anywhere, I'm listening to investing podcasts. Um, and it's just constantly trying to get all of these different bits of information into my brain. And then uh, you obviously get a lot, a lot of different perspective was, yeah. perspectives from different people with investing as well. So it's sort of like, trying to put all of these competing ideas into your head and slowly you sort of develop an investing philosophy that kind of fits with your own. So for me, that's been like a value investing approach. So trying to think of stocks as real businesses, which, which they are, you know, <laughs> we, yeah. we're, I'm, I'm, um, we're doing this call and I'm on an HP laptop, which is a public company. I've got a Logitech webcam, which is a public company. I've got Sony headphones, which is a public company. You know, all of these are real businesses that sell real products, which have a value based on how much cash they can produce. And, yep. um, you know, if you can go out and buy businesses, maybe when they're having some sort of short-term problems or people just don't really appreciate the true value of that company, um, you can get some pretty good deals and you get this weird balance, which a lot of sort of academic style investors, I suppose, um, wouldn't even knowledge, acknowledge that it exists, but you get this weird balance of not necessarily high risk, high return or low risk, low return. You're trying to get uh, low risk and high return, which is like this, you know, asymmetric yeah. downside upside. So mm -hmm. that's basically what you get when you can try to understand the true value of a business. And I often say that, you know, if you can buy a dollar for 50 cents, that's kind of what I'm trying to do with my investing. Um, protects you from downside. And then you got this nice kicker um, in terms of upside as well. So um, I might have gone off of, on a bit of a tangent there with your nah, initial question, nah, but that, that's kind of how I'm thinking this about it. good. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm just glad I'm not the only person who just looks at the world and I'm just like, yeah, so that's HP. That is, oh, that's an Apple. So that's AAPL. Yeah. That's a company I can invest in. Like, I'm just glad yeah. I'm not the only one who walks around and only sees, I don't just see like products. I also see like the companies and I'm like, how could we invest in this? Like I was, yeah. I was in, um, this was a funny story that I heard from somebody. They were like, oh, they went shopping at Walmart and they had invested in Walmart. And so now because they had understood, understood the idea of like your, when you invest in a business, you become a 
owner kind of of that business and that was the whole idea and so they went into walmart one day and they just picked up stuff off the shelf and they were walking out of the store and so people were like wait 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 you haven't paid for that and he was like what do you mean i own, I own this, this place <laughs> <laughs> and so that that story is just like that's literally how i always tell people like when you invest you're not just investing in numbers on a screen there is an actual business yeah. underlying it nowadays it's extremely hard to get that idea across to anyone because of just how gamified we seem to have made the stock market into. So one of the things is I like to view you as like, when I go watch your channels, I go to you as like one of my reason setters as like, I want to, I, because I can't, I can tend to, cause I'm still new in the whole game. And so I get very excited about almost everything. It's like, Oh yeah, my yeah. gosh, this is going to blow up. And then you, for some reason, you just bring out a video where it's like margin of safety or this. And I'm just like, man, just party pooper is like, now nah, I got to come back to reasoning. I got to like, okay, fine. Let me, let me actually do what I'm supposed to do. So, and you talked about it a little bit earlier of just how you went through the mindset of value investing. And I see you as one of like the true value investor, but like, what is it about, you spoke about it a little bit, but I wanted you to go a little bit more in depth into it. Of What is it about value investing that is just so appealing? What is it about the Monish Bobrais, the Warren Buffett, the Charlie Mungers? And by the way, guys, these, which I've mentioned them to everybody before, but these are some of the legendary greatest investors of all time. I, I see them as like, if we had a Mount Rushmore, these guys would be on that list. So the Peter Lynch's, all of these guys, what is it that, that about these guys that just made you like, they make more sense than the academics that we hear about on TV or we see on CNBC or we see on all these other outlets that are always screaming about something that just made you like, they make, I just like these guys a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that because I, I get the same. It's funny you say that about coming to watch my videos and, um, you know, being a party pooper. I feel a little <laughs> bit like that sometimes when, um, when I watch like the Warren Buffett annual meetings, uh, I've heard Monish, I've heard Monish Pabri describe it as, um, you're sort of like a car. Oh, how's he describe it? He sort of describes going to Omaha to, to the Berkshire Hathaway annual meeting and listening to Warren Buffett as kind of like wiping all the gunk off the windscreen. And you can suddenly see clearly again of, you know, how to go about investing. So I occasionally do feel like a bit of a grumpy old man with my videos. I hope it doesn't come across like that. It doesn't come across like that. It's just basically we listen and we're like, he's making a lot of sense. I don't like that. He's making a lot of sense. I want him to just agree with me of what I'm thinking right now. But it's like, it's one of those things where it's like when somebody tells you, Oh yeah, don't put your hand next to the fire because you might get burned. But it's like, but yeah. I, I, I want to put my hand next to the fire just to know what it feels like. And he's like, don't do it. Like, but it's just like we all just want to jump. We're like moths to a flame because we see the market yeah. and we're like, I want to join that race. But you're like, hey man, be careful, be careful. And then you like calm us back down and we turn around with our shoulders shrugged and we just like go to a safer <laughs> option. But we still like yeah. we're still every once in a while look over and then we come back and watch your video again just to remind ourselves because it's so easy in this day and age to forget to just be like I want to join that thing I want to get on that race and it's like no 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 relax and so that's where yeah. what role you play at least in my mind of just like watching your videos yeah for sure I guess um, yeah I think the reason that I I sort of have adopted the strategy like I think it is Buffett again I, I keep going back to him because I have very so few nice. original ideas and I just learn everything from him. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, hey, he, man, he that's why you're about... here. I'm trying to steal more ideas from you. So it's all good. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, Warren Buffett talks about value investing almost as like an inoculation and, and you sort of, you either get it immediately or you don't. And to me, like it is something that just clicked with me, like obvious, it was obvious to me that, you know, if 
we buy an ownership in a business, then the return you get and the amount of risk you're taking is directly related to the price that you pay for that business. You know, if you put things in like a, a rental property context, which I always like to do because I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, you know, if you're investing in a rental property that after all that your expenses is going to bring in, say, uh, $10,000 a year, just as an example. Um, there's no way a rational human being would go and pay a billion dollars for that rental property because the cash flow is just nowhere near justify the, the income, right? But, but when bubbles and, you know, a lot of frothy stuff tends to happen in stock markets, that's exactly what people do. Sometimes they'll be bringing a negative $10,000 and they'll pay a billion dollars for it. You know, <laughs> things can just get crazy from time to time. So, um, I think it just makes sense that that's why it was appealing to me. Like it seemed like the right way to go about it. Um, I think for me, I see the stock market as a vehicle for long-term wealth creation. So for me to be comfortable putting a you know very high percentage of my net worth into the stock market, yeah. um, I don't want to be just speculating and gambling on what stock prices are going to do over the next several years and you know maybe do okay, but maybe lose a bunch of money. That's not a position I want to yeah. put myself in. So if I can understand you know what's the downside, what's the upside with any given business and you know, do the work to understand that company and try to, like you say, put a estimate of intrinsic value on, on it, which is yeah. its own kind of can of worms. That's not a precise calculation necessarily. Um, it, but it's just a, it's just a methodology that made sense and allowed me to be comfortable putting, you know, a lot of money into, into stocks over, over the long term. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's the, what is that quote by Munish Bravai? Flip, when you flip, you want to flip heads or tails and you want heads, you win, tails, you don't lose a lot. I, I stole that That's quote right. from yeah. you, basically. And uh, I love, I, when, when you said that quote, I was just like, it makes sense. Like, it just makes, yeah. like you said earlier, it's like, why would I take this much more risk when I understand that if I do this instead, I will get a substantially better return. And also, mm -hmm. I'm not... I'm also limiting my down factor as well, which, and yeah. so, which leads me to a different question. You used the example of real estate and rental properties. One question I always ask everyone who gets really into like thinking of stocks as businesses is, did you run a business growing up or was this something where you were like trying to do little, you were one of those kids on, on the playground where you like bought a bunch of candy bar and you went out there <laughs> and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna give it to you for $5, even though I bought this for $1. So that you like got that understanding because a lot of people who have that mindset just operated businesses growing up. And that was just the mindset mm -hmm. that they had starting off with. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people that are into this stuff were like that, but I, I wasn't really like I wasn't the I didn't have like the candy store in my locker or anything like that at school. You know, <laughs> I knew people that did, and they're actually quite good entrepreneurs now that I, uh, you know, look at what they're up to these days. Yeah. But um, I wasn't like that. But um, yeah, I honestly wasn't interested in money until I had to start paying some serious bills, you know, <laughs> which I think is the is the case for a lot of people. Um, one of the things I will say that has helped actually is. Um, I work in, you know, I still have a day job like YouTube and investing is not a full-time gig for me. Um, and I work in quite a small company where I'm fairly close to what's going on with the, you know, financial position of the business. Yeah. And I'm sort of involved in a lot of the discussions about, okay, um, you know, do we increase prices or how do we have our different um, sort of subscription tiers and those like actual real business decisions. So yeah. I found that actually very useful to then go and look at, say, 
um, another software business like a um, zero, which is an accounting business in Australia. I yeah. don't know she is in it, but you know, if I go and try to understand that business, I have this sort of background in another real company that I'm working in every day, which allows me to understand that company, you know, yeah. and, and how that works. So um, that has been quite useful, just working in businesses. And, and like I say, I have a background in agriculture. So um, I understand uh, dairy farm businesses in New Zealand very well. And I understand sheep and beef businesses, you know, farms in New Zealand very well. Um, and they're basically commodity companies. And um, they're no different to commodity companies that we look at in the stock market. The dairy farmers that have the lowest cost of production tend to be the best yeah you know, most successful dairy farmers over a period of time. Just like if you looked at some, um, you know, gold miner or something where the lowest cost producer of gold would probably tend to have the best profitability over the long period of time. So um, it's sort of pulling these various different lessons from, from companies that I worked in has, has helped me to, um, you know, understand companies that, that trade publicly. Yeah, I think that's, that's actually a very good point. One thing I always try to, I, I'm a Peter Lynch. When I started reading and understanding, investing a little bit, one of the people that I just gravitated to was Peter Lynch. I just loved the way he talked about investing, the, his interview style. And one of the things he always talked about is everybody has a certain edge to invest in. Everybody, there's whether it's the industry you work in or the products that you tend to use, but we give up those edge all the time. And just hearing you yeah. talk about the fact that, hey, this is the industry that I work in. So it's, it helps me to understand other things. It's an advantage that you have that other people necessarily do not have. And so mm. just just that idea of you going through and talking about, yo, this is what has helped me think about that. I always wonder how people get to the outcome that they get to from where they start from. It's always interesting to me to hear the stories of, yeah, I mean, at work, I have to handle this. And I saw this happening. We have to switch this technology. So now we have to switch this. Which is one thing that I, whenever people like, especially like I work in the energy industry. So whenever people are like, yeah, renewables are the future in the next five years, I'm like, ha, good joke. Because I see this <laughs> stuff, I actually like play with renewables all the time. And I'm like, yeah, do you, if you want actual power, it, it, it's not happening in the next five years. Like it's just not. Mm. So it's, that edge helps you to just make more critical and more mindful decisions whenever you're investing in anything. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's important that you understand that as well because I think um, you know it sounds like you're someone that probably should almost like hyper specialize in energy investing. I would say like you should focus on like these it, companies, though. but <laughs> but yeah, but that's the thing. A lot of people, like you say, will give away the edge. They'll be, um, you know, they might be a doctor and then they'll come and invest in your industry and they'll be talking about renewables, like you say, and you're like that's a load of crap, <laughs> you know, or, or, or it might be, um, you know, the other way around, maybe you work in the energy industry and then, um, I think Peter Lynch, I forget the analogy, Peter Lynch or the example Peter Lynch uses in one up on wall street, but he talks about <clears throat> people going in, and investing in biotechnology companies and they work in completely unrelated industries <laughs> and know nothing about these new drugs or technologies or whatever those companies are doing. So if you've got an edge, I think you should take advantage of it for sure. Definitely, definitely. So I, I would like to ask you, we talked, you mentioned a little bit about bubbles and just mania in general. So I just want to get your take. Where do you think we are right now in the current state of the market? Um, I just saw a tweet from Michael Berry where he was like, we're in a massive, massive bubble state and like things are ridiculous. So do you think that we are um, in a mania stage? Is everything perfectly reasonable or just I want to get your mindset and your take of where we are right currently just in the market as a whole? Yeah, I do have thoughts on this, but the <clears throat> the main thing I would say is that 
where we are in the market has no bearing on how I invest. So um, I'll give you my opinion in a sec, but it really is meaningless in terms of how I approach investing. So I'm very much focused on understanding individual businesses Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it's hard enough to understand one company sometimes, let alone an S&P 500, right? So um, I, I focus on individual companies and their valuations and if markets are at all-time highs and so on, but I think the returns I can get out of this business look attractive, I'll swing for the fences with that business, you know, irrespective of what the markets are doing. But to answer your actual question, (laughs) I think um, you can look at a range of metrics and they'll all tell you that basically the stock market is at the highest valuation it's pretty much ever been at. So you can look at a Wilshire GDP ratio which is um basically like a total market index what's the value what's the valuation of that versus us gdp and that's sometimes called the buffett indicator so that's as high as it's ever been uh the schiller pe or the cape ratio cyclically adjusted pe i think that stands for uh is as high as it's ever been um i think you can just look at simple pe ratios and that's basically as high as it's ever been um so yeah valuations are high but the thing you have to keep in mind is that if there was ever going to be a situation where valuations are going to be justifiably high, I think it's probably now. And a lot of people, I don't think, um, consider that, you know, we're in a, yeah. we're in a period of time where basically, you know, sort of quote unquote, like risk assets. So, so stocks and, and so on, um, are basically the only game in town. Bonds are giving you in real terms, zero after you account for a couple of percent inflation, you know, you might even be getting negative, you know, real returns if you consider that. So the real question is um, what happens with interest rates? If interest rates go up to a normal level, yes, I think everything is incredibly expensive, but if interest rates continue to stay low, I actually think things are incredibly cheap. And um, it's wild that, you know, the range is is that wide and we really don't know what's going to happen with interest rates. Yet. This is the main lever. And Warren Buffett actually said that in his latest um, Birch Hathaway annual meeting. He said, um, you know, valuations are high and there's pockets of the market, at least, where there's a lot of speculation going on. But you know, for a lot of the well-known tech businesses like the Googles or Apples or Amazons or whatever, um, he didn't think it was that crazy because you can't earn any real rate of return anywhere else. So, you know, um, it's not like the tech bubble where the market, I think, got to something like 40 times earnings. Um, Well, let's call it 50 times earnings just for simplicity. So, uh, if you invert that PE ratio, one over fifty means you're getting a two percent earnings yield essentially on the on the market. And I think a ten year bond at that time was like earning five percent. So clearly, there's you know um, a dispersion that shouldn't be there. Like the stock market should, in theory, be giving you a higher return than bonds because you're sort of taking more yeah. risk. So yeah. maybe a seven or eight percent earnings yield would make more sense. So in that situation, it was clear that markets were stretched. But if you look at it today. Um, you know, I don't think bond yields are even this high at the moment, but I'd have to check. But for simplicity, let's say that they're 1%. So you're getting a 1% yield on a bond, which is probably high. <laughs> you know, so if if the market's trading at 50 times earnings in this situation, you're now getting 2% in stocks, you know, maybe that's not the worst thing yeah, in the world. I don't know. So it all comes down to interest rates. I don't think it's as crazy as a lot of people are saying. Um, but at the same time, if, if rates do go up, um, could get pretty scary. So, yeah, um, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I was uh, 
I was I saw it I saw I saw a chart and it was saying that the earnings of just looking at the S and P five hundred companies and it has shown that earnings of S and P five S and P five hundred companies yep. was up about thirty percent from last year, mm-hmm. and so and then when you combine that with just like the fact that interest rates are so low, the they just came to the acknowledgement like yeah there may be like pockets of speculation pockets of things that are looking very bubbly. But overall, it was hard to just be like, yeah, the market is overvalued as a whole. It's like, no, we actually have like numbers to justify some of the valuations that we're seeing currently in the marketplace. And so that was so when I I was looking at that, I was like, it's hard for me whenever I see anybody come out and be like, yeah, get ready for the next great downturn. And then I look at what they said in 2011 and they were saying like, yo, we're about to see another massive correction. And it's like. Whereas we haven't seen it. And so I think that's also part of the problem of why people may not be taking risk as seriously as they did once upon a time, because people are just kind of like, we've been waiting and we saw the market have a short correction and everything just like come back. So everybody's just like, why are we going to, why should we be scared? So how do you think this is going to play out? I mean, I know we're both, and I'll say I, I enjoy talking about macroeconomic stuff, but when it comes to, like you said, when it comes to investing, I'm very much micro up, like, what is it bottom up rather than top down where I'm like focused on what does this business actually do versus the market as a whole. But I just wanted to get your perspective of like, what do you think happens when eventually with all the easy money policies that we've seen from basically every central bank in the world, what do you think is going to happen in like when they start like pulling back of like on some of those uh, quantitative easing that they've been doing and the bond buying that they've been doing just to keep liquidity in the market in the short term um, as a whole. Short term being like the next two to three years. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is the kind of stuff I like to often just put in the too hard basket because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like I say, it, it really doesn't change how I, how I invest. Like, yeah. I mean, if, if you look at it over a very long period of time, so I'm, I'm 26 at the moment. Yeah. I'm going to be investing hopefully for decades. Um, I would put a very serious amount of money on the fact that something like the S&P 500 will be much higher in 40 years than it is today. You know, um, with the U S especially has had this massively long track record of growth and sure there's been bumps in the road and stuff, but, um, you know, it's grown at like 8% a year. If you're looking at stocks or something over the past century, and I don't really see that it might slow down a little bit, but it's going to continue growing. So if you're a long-term investor, uh, there might be some bumps in the road, but I think, you'll probably still have a pretty good result if you're continuing to buy over a period of time. But yeah, I mean, um, with the whole quantitative easing and trying to dial back all the stimulus and and everything, um, I think they're going to have to do it slowly unless something crazy happens. Like if we start getting ridiculous inflation, they probably have to ramp up rates and we might get like a stagflation type situation, which basically means... um, you have inf- you have a lot of inflation and no growth, which is yeah. kind of like the worst of both worlds. Um, um, but at the same time, I think they're going to have have to do it really slowly. You know, assuming yeah. we don't have anything crazy like that happen, because um, I'm going to be off on the numbers here, but you'll hopefully get the idea. There's there's so much corporate debt, um, and a lot of the data I see is in the US. So I'll just keep using the US as an example, even though I'm not in the states. Um, 
it's something like if interest rates went up 2%, I think that wipes out almost all of the earnings of the S&P 500 because their debt servicing costs go up so much. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the government has no tax revenue from public companies. So um, there there is only so far, I think, that businesses, that interest rates can go up. But yeah, who knows? Like um, this is all just speculation. Like at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if I can buy, you know, Disney at 10 times earnings, I'll be all right, regardless of all this stuff happening. So (laughs) that's how I, that's how I think about it. Yeah. I mean, and that folks is our time when it comes to all things macroeconomics. There's no more macroeconomics talk from here (laughs) on out, because as Peter Lynch says, if you spend more than three minutes talking about macroeconomics, you already wasted 10 minutes. So, you know, we're just going to go ahead and stop it right there. Yeah, but, there's a there's a there's a guy that I follow. Um, oh, sorry, there's, there's a guy that I follow called um, Jake Taylor, who's on the Value After Hours podcast with Toby Carlisle. If you've, anyone's ever listened to that, um, and he describes um, macroeconomics kind of like eating dessert, like a little bit. It's probably not bad, but if you just gorge yourself on it all the time, that's rather bad for your investment health. So just put that out there as well. I'm stealing that. That's a, that's very, I like that. <laughs> I like the way that goes. Yes. I'm yeah. stealing that for sure. But yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. It's like, it's entertaining. It's like all the spicy details that make our minds start. Like we like speculating more than we like, like think, take dealing with actual facts. And so it's like, it just makes us excited. Like, mm. oh my God, what's going to happen with this? Oh, what's going to happen? With-? And it's like, yo, but like when we're being honest, it's just kind of like, it's not that like it, for our investors, it's just like, if you just don't pay attention to all the noise, it, you get a much clearer picture about what you should be doing with your investments, with your money and all that kind of stuff. And But it's a lot more tantalizing to just think about all the stuff that we have zero control over. Yeah. Yeah. And th- yeah, that's the thing. We've got no control over it. I mean, someone like Buffett would say, uh, you know, about that in- that entire ma- topic of macroeconomics, he would say, um, you know, does it change how people are going to drink Coke? Because if it doesn't affect that, I don't care, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's all he's worried about. He's worried about, you know, the performance of, of the real companies that he owns. So as long as none of that stuff affects how many people drink Coke and, uh, you know, if we don't have inflation and Coke can put their prices up to keep up with inflation, he'll be fine. So, yeah, definitely. I, I totally agree on that. Um, So I just want to go from there into... Uh, one of the questions that I just had was just basically, I was going to ask this, but then I saw you had a video coming out on it, but I'm still going to ask it is what is one of the biggest mistakes you've made in your journey of whether it's personal finance wise or investing? Cause I know you have a video coming out with investing where you've made your biggest mistake. So now I'm just going to add personal finance plus investing. So what was your biggest mistake that you've made so far in this journey of this thing called life, which you're as old as me. So I knew there was a reason I liked you. So, you know, we're the same age. So that's good. Good. But yeah, in go. this short time that you've been on this earth. Yeah. Biggest mistakes. Um, I mean, probably yet to come. <laughs> mistakes are part of the course. I think I'll make a few more. Um, probably first, I don't think I've actually mentioned this on the channel before, but I probably should have bought a house sooner. Um mm. I think that that would be a mistake and that that might just be resulting like it might just be I'm only saying that because the housing market in New Zealand's gone up 30% in the last three years or something and I've missed that run Um, but I probably should have bought a house sooner Um, outside of that I really haven't had any 
massive mistakes with investments. Like I, like you say, I made a video on um, my worst investment ever just, just last night that came out as we're recording this, um, which was with Fiat Chrysler, which has now been renamed to Stellantis after a merger. So I had like a 16% permanent loss on that investment, which as far as investment mistakes go, I don't think that's too crazy really. Um, But it still hurts nonetheless. Yeah. Yeah. It still, (laughs) still hurts. Um, and I mean, on the investment side, the I've made mistakes much larger than that, but they've been mistakes of omission. They've been things that I understood. Um, the price got to a point where probably I should have bought it and I just didn't pull the trigger for whatever reason. So Facebook, for, for example, very, very briefly touched a price where I would buy it in March 2020. Uh, it's gone on to do very, very well. And I just, I just didn't buy it. It was only at that price for like a couple of days, if that, and I just basically missed it. Um, and there'll be plenty more of those, (laughs) but those would be the larger mistakes. And they're ones that don't show up. And when you go to look at your returns and again, Buffett talks about this all the time that he's made plenty of mistakes where he's lost, you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars for Birch Hathaway, but he's made even larger mistakes. Like he's talked about not buying Google, for example, when, when Geico was spending money with Google to advertise their insurance products. Uh, and he could see how good a business it was. He could see that, you know, Geico was spending more and more money with Google and it wasn't costing Google a thing for Geico to spend more and more money. So, you know, it's all cream on top after a certain point for a business like that. Uh, and he saw the massive tailwinds that they had in online advertising and uh, he just didn't buy it. So the, I've, I've made a few mistakes, but um, there'll be more to come and the mistakes of omission will probably be larger than the, the ones where I've had losses. So. Yeah. And so like when you just going back to like when you pass up on a company that you're like because one of the things i know for myself that i tend to which is why i have to like go back and watch videos is i tend to end up it's like i miss an opportunity and then i start chasing it's like yo i missed this so now i'm chasing after what could have been rather than just like being like all right i missed it and i keep it so how do you keep your head your level head even after you miss an opportunity not to start chasing after something that you know is like, this may not end well for me? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think um, FOMO is a massive issue at the moment. Um, I, <clears throat> this is actually something I'm, I made a video on a couple of weeks ago as well. And I said, um, you know, there's a lot of people with fear of missing out right now. And yeah, like you say, chasing hot stocks or hot mm-hmm. cryptocurrencies or NFTs or whatever at the moment. Um, <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, let's look at say the last 20 years and we'll try to understand what have been the best performing stocks of the last two decades. So, uh, you know, if you had missed these things, you would have missed out on like a 500 X return or more. in some of these investments, like just crazy home runs. So um, a lot, a lot that you would have missed out on. And I said, you know, let's compare that to, or let's see how many of these stocks, the greatest investor of all time, Warren Buffett was able to buy. And um, of the top 10, he actually missed out on, Technically, he missed out on eight of them, but I'm tempted to call it nine. Um, he bought Apple, uh, which was one of the 10. But, yeah. uh, you know, the period of time I was looking for between was, I think, 2000, 2020. And Buffett didn't buy Apple till, till 2016. So he got it, but he was 16 years late to the party. Um, <laughs> and the other one he bought was MasterCard, which um, is one I'm tempted to leave out because it was a tiny, tiny position. Like there's 
at cost, it's one of his smallest positions in the entire mm-hmm. portfolio, but it's done so well that it's kind of gone up it's the ranks a little up. bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess I, I try to just keep the frame of mind that, or keep the mindset that you really don't need to catch all the winners to have a really good track record. Like, yeah. you know, Buffett again has compounded at 20% a year for like, I don't know, 70 years or something at this point. And he's hardly picked every winning stock. So yeah. um, you can have a very good track record without hitting, you know, with only hitting a handful of home runs. And arguably the more important thing about having a really good track record is not having massive drawdowns. So, mm-hmm. you know, not chasing these things and then suddenly being down 50 or 60% or something, because, yeah. you know, just mathematically, if you're down 50%, you need to go up a hundred percent from that level to get back to just where mm-hmm. you started. So I'd say that um, downside protection is arguably more important than trying to capture upside. And if you can get into situations where downside is very limited, often the upside just kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. So um, that's that's sort of how I think about it. And one other sort of framework I've been using for the last couple of years is this whole concept of the investment punch card, which again is another thing I've kind of stolen from Buffett. Um, you know, he talks about if you're given a punch card with 20 holes in it, and uh, you know, each of the each time you made a new investment, you had to punch out one of those holes. So you only had 20 investments you could make in your lifetime. Um, if that was the case, you would think very long and hard about any new stock that you added to your portfolio. So um, that's what I've basically tried to do. I've said, if I can find literally one or two investments a year, um, I'm good. I'm set. That's all I need to do. So <laughs> it makes it very, very easy for me to just pass on stuff that doesn't meet all of my um, you know, investment criteria. Yeah. That's a, I, I told somebody or I was, I told somebody something one time. I was like, just going back to your idea of downside protection, I, I was like mm-hmm. one plus one minus one in investing is not equal to one. Like it's one plus one minus one is equal to negative is equal to 0.5 because you lose all that you just gained and then some on top of it. And so it's just so important for like I always like to say, like there's a reason why risk management is such a big part of investing. Nobody cares right now because in in high waters everybody is fine like until the the tide comes back in then everybody's like ah i'm naked nobody nuke me but like yeah buffett's stolen quote i think we're just gonna keep quoting back and forth throughout this entire thing but yeah so that's the way to go (laughs) you know he's he's a very quotable person like he says things in ways that just like grabs your attention and it's like there's a reason he took that uh what is the uh, carnegie course because he, he he definitely learned a number yeah. of things from that because he says things very well. But yeah, it's just mm-hmm. talking about downside protection to just make sure that we're not doing things to kind of cut our legs off before we can even start running, before we can even start the whole compounding yeah. uh, situation to play in our benefit rather than pulling us back. So uh, so just uh, one other question or a few more questions for you. I You mentioned in one of your podcasts that being a fund manager is something that you might want to do in the future. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Is that something that after you uh, get your financial, when you get to the point of financial freedom, you're like, you know what, now I've proven to myself that I can actually do this investing thing. Now I'm willing to like take money from other people to do it for them as well. Yeah, this is um, is something I've gone back and forth on a little bit. Um, You know, the, 
the way that I would ideally like to spend my days is kind of Monash Pabrai style of being a, a man of leisure, as he describes it. So, you know, going fishing when I feel like it and, um, <laughs> and uh, just, you know, studying businesses and kind of just doing this stuff for a living because it's what I really enjoy. Um, but there's a, I guess there's a few different forms that could take. So it could just be, you know, I'm looking after my own money and I don't have the stress of looking after other people's money. Um, Peter Lynch method. Or it, yeah, or, or it could be looking after other people's money, but I, I would want to structure that in a way um, where I attract the right type of investors and I have sort of incentives aligned between myself and the investors. So that's why something like what Monash Provide does, you know, is really interesting to me. So he doesn't yeah. charge any management fees. He charges um, he charges nothing up to a 6% return and then takes... 25% um, of the returns over and above 6%. So if he earns, say, 10% in a year, that's sort of a 4%, you know, over and above the the 6% watermark. So he takes basically 1% of assets as like a management fee because he takes a quarter of that that 4%. Um, and he also has like a high watermark. So the 6% isn't just in any given year. It's sort of 6% compounded. So if he is down 50% in a year, he has to catch up to that 6% before he can start oh, wow. earning fees again. And um, and so he runs a few different funds within Pabrai funds. Um, but in one of those funds, I don't think he took fees for 10 years because he, he had a big drawdown in 2008 and it took him a while to catch up. So wow. um, that's really interesting. But the, the way he structured it is, you know, um, I want to have really long-term money with people that understand the way I'm, investing their money um which basically means you know if the stock market goes down three percent in a day you're not going to get a call from panicked investors and uh (laughs) you know he says uh i'm available a couple of times a year you know we'll have a we'll have an annual meeting and i'll write you um a shareholder letter each year and you know the rest of the time i'm I'm working so don't contact me and just let me compound (laughs) your money so that that's a lifestyle that i really like the last thing i would want to be is one of these mutual fund managers that has pressure to perform quarter to quarter to quarter. Um, You know, they're almost more of a salesman than they are an investor because, you know, they, they benefit far more from having assets under management than actually having good long-term returns. Um, But yeah, it's something of interest to me, whether it's just managing my own capital, if I can, you know, grow that to a, a big enough point or whether it's taking money from, from other people and managing that on their behalf. Um, I'm I'm certainly open to those things. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like it, uh, you're like the second person I know that when it comes to after you get into investing a little bit, then the ideas pops up. Is like maybe this is something that I like to do, not just as for for myself, but maybe also open it up to other people. And so that's pretty cool. I hope you get to that point, so you know you can help me with my stuff. So I just be like, Tom, here's some money, do your thing. <laughs> figure it out for me, but probably I, I would be one of the few people that still be like, Tom, how are we doing? <laughs> hey man, I saw this business. We need to look into this one. Like, what can we do about this? You'd be like, look, man, yeah. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you, you can send me ideas. I mean, my Pabrai always puts his email address out there, MP at Pabrai Funds. Send me all your PE of one ideas, right? So yep. I'll be open to that. <laughs> yep, yep. But yeah, uh, so... I mean, you just told me your age. I was going to close this out just asking your age and then also asking this one question. One thing that I've noticed, not just for myself, but from other people as well who go on this journey of personal finance and 
uh, handling their money and investing is I like to talk more about the mental side of things more than just the uh, actual mechanics. Cause I feel like it's a whole lot less um, that you do with just like, Oh, I play with this money and all this other stuff, but it's a lot more about the mentality of when you handle money. And that basically takes more pre- uh, premise to ensure that you do well. So one question that I have for a lot of young folks, especially now that we're in the age of social media is, do you ever feel behind as you're going on this journey of wealth building of just trying to get to this position of being financially well off in the future? Or do you just kind of like, I don't care about anybody. I'm always focused on me. Or do you ever like compare yourself to other people? Like, yo, what am I doing that those people are not doing? Or what are those people doing that I'm not doing to ensure that I get to where they are right now? Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think I have sort of like an internal scorecard and I'm not someone that's, um, you know, trying to compare myself to other people, but I'd be lying if I said I don't occasionally compare myself <laughs> to other people. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, if there's people that are far more successful than me and, um, I would preface that by saying far more successful than me in the right ways. Yeah. So, you know, the likes of, um, you know, the Buffets and Mungers and mm-hmm. Fabrias and Guy Spears of the world, those people, uh, they're all people that I take a lot of inspiration from because, I've had this phenomenal long-term compounding type journey. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't um, they didn't go to Las Vegas and suddenly become a millionaire. Like if, if someone does that, <clears throat> there's no point, first of all, comparing yourself to that. Yeah. And um, you can't learn anything from that. And um, that's a, there's a bit of survivorship bias in there too, because there's far more people that have gone to Las Vegas and lost a million dollars, right? So, um, Thank you. People don't <laughs> want to listen to me when I say it. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I can compare myself to other people occasionally, but I'm, I'm on my own sort of journey and I don't really ever feel behind. Um, maybe that's just because I understand compound interest or I don't, I don't quite know, you know, relatively small sums can grow into very large sums if you <laughs> give it a long enough runway. So, um, you know, time's on your side with this stuff. Yep. Yep. Thank, thank you. I, I, I literally, I, I know even me myself, sometimes I'm, I'm be totally honest. Like sometimes, cause I, I'm, I'm the type of person that is always like, I sit at home and I'm trying to think like, okay, what's the next move I need to make? What's the next thing I need to do? And I end up sometimes questioning myself, like, am I doing the right things? Am I on the right path? Am I moving yeah. in the right direction? But like you said, it's uh, my sister told me something or gave me a Bible verse. And it was like, focus on the, on, on the road ahead rather than looking everywhere else. And Rather, focus on the path that you're paving for yourself and your journey is going to look different and it's going to look not like what everybody else's journey is. And sometimes you might need to tread a new path that other people actually follow behind you. Like your YouTube page has tread a new path for me to be able to follow behind you, learning from some of the things that you're learning from. So definitely, I agree with that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And I I might just tell a quick story as well. So um, this is one that I think probably should be told more when it, when it comes to these kinds of things, because I think a lot of people are just frankly in a hurry to, you know, become wealthy or however people want to define it for themselves. Um, and it's interesting because if you look back at the history of Buffett and Munger and, you know, the very early days of Berkshire Hathaway, um, there was actually a third person. So it was not just Buffett and Munger. It was actually Buffett, Munger and a guy called Rick Guerin, um, who, if anyone's ever looked at the appendices of the intelligent investor, which is a very niche place to look, but <laughs> if you look in there, um, 
you'll see this speech that Warren Buffett did called the Super Investors of Graham and Doddsville, which has basically investment track records for a range of value investors. And Rick Guerin has actually the best performance track record of any investor in that group. So wow. uh, I think it was somewhere in the mid 30% a year range over about 15 years that he wow. had compounded money at. Um, and one of the things that Buffett and Munger always say is they knew that they were going to be very wealthy over a long period of time. You know, they um, spent a lot less than they earned. They were pretty reasonable investors, they thought, which turned out to be very true. <laughs> so if they run that compound engine long enough, um, then they're going to be wealthy. And they, they really weren't in a hurry to get there. But Rick Guerin was in a hurry. So he had basically the same investment philosophy as Buffett and Munger, but with one key difference, which was the fact that he borrowed money. He took out margin loans to invest, which as he was performing very, very well, um, it meant his annual returns were, yeah, his, his annual returns were more volatile, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, throughout however long that track record was, I think it was about 15 years, he had a very good return because he borrowed some money and that, you know, juiced up his return on equity. But then the, there was a massive stock market crash in the early 1970s and um, <clears throat> Rick Guerin basically went to zero. So, you know, it doesn't matter how big a net worth you get to, any number multiplied by zero is zero, right? So if you if you blow up at some point, uh, you're, you're back to the start. And <clears throat> and when Rick Guerin got these margin calls, um, he was forced to sell his Berkshire Hathaway stock. He owned Berkshire at that time. Um, and <clears throat> and he was actually selling a lot of his Berkshire stock to, to Buffett at $40 per share. Now, if anyone knows the Berkshire Hathaway stock price today of like $400,000 a share, oh you'll know that selling selling Berkshire at 40 is probably not a particularly good thing to do. So, oh, um, yeah, don't be in a hurry um, if you've even got a slight advantage over the average person in terms of how you approach personal finance or investment, you will you can't help but do well over an extended period of time. So um, that's just a cautionary tale for the people listening in. That's a good story. That's just, man, forty. Oh my gosh! I'm just yeah, thinking, crazy. like, oh man, like, ah, oh, that's yeah. Don't be a Rick Burn. We need we need to make that like a slogan. We need to start talking more and just making that like a slogan for everybody. Don't be a Rick Burn. Go 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 learn about this guy and know why you should. Every yeah. one of us should just slow down. Like we're in this, yeah. you know, we're in a micro minute, microsecond <laughs> society. Everything we want is right at our fingertips doordash spotify google everything is right at our fingertips we can get food within the next five minutes if we want it and so yeah mm. definitely like slow down there's some things that just don't yeah. come at the snap of a yeah finger. and and rick <clears throat> yeah and rick rick guerin was a good enough investor to recover from that and be wealthy again beyond his wildest dreams mm. after that going to zero but um yeah, he, he, he could have been a billionaire, right? And he and he didn't quite get there. Um, unfortunately, he, he passed away, I think it was last year. He was still a very close friend of Charlie Munger's and was um, quite heavily involved with the Daily Journal Corporation, I think, up until, oh, wow. you know, his last days. So, um, yeah, but but really interesting guy, like incredibly intelligent by all accounts, but um, he was in a hurry. So <laughs> he, he, did, he did blow up at one point there. Just remember the story of the tortoise and the hare. Sometimes slow and steady is the yep. way to go. You don't have, I mean, somebody said you Absolutely. don't, oh yeah, I think it was Buffett who said you don't need to be, uh, you don't need to have a high IQ to be able to invest and make money investing. Um, 
And Peter Lynch says it takes more mm-hmm. of your stomach than it does your brain in investing. So I definitely agree with that of just like, slow down, everybody, slow down. Just take it a little bit longer and you'll be good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, and, and Buffett f- making yeah, 20% a year is, is, is I, I wouldn't call that slow either. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty quick compounding, but people want a 10 X at a year, you know? So <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Like nowadays when I'm like, uh, if you talk about, yeah, you can get like seven to 8% in the stock market. And that's pretty good. People are like, what? Seven to 8%. Where am I going to do that? It's like the yeah. whole idea of risk. I, I mean, I, when I first, when I was setting up my 401k, the only thing I knew like risk factor was like, risky is stocks stocks are risky and bonds are a safer asset now everybody's like stocks are not risky like those are stocks i want to go into like meme stock and meme coins (laughs) and uh meme stocks and all of this other stuff and it's just like oh well well when you go to zero then we'll all be we'll be here we'll be here waiting on you so yeah it's it's uh it's just an interesting time to be alive i guess it's just Mm. What they say, youth is wasted on the young because we ain't got no wisdom to think through our decision making. So definitely see that played out very much yeah. on social and everywhere else. So yeah, yeah. Well, there's well, there's that quote that um, there's old investors and there's bold investors, but there's no old bold investors. <laughs> I like it. And oh, I, I, oh yeah, I was listening to a podcast and they said something. Everybody was. They were asking everybody, uh, they were in Boca Raton, which is like a famous retirement place in Florida. And they were asking each person like, oh, what was your return in the stock market? What was your return in the stock market? And everybody was like saying, yeah, I got this, I got this. And then they asked like, another guy and the guy said, who cares what my return is? I'm in Boca. I don't have to worry about <laughs> yeah. anything anymore. And so yeah. that was literally like, yeah, like, what does it matter? Like you will get to that just like you said, it's, it comes down to back to the simple basic, live on less than you make invest and save the rest and as long as you do that in the long run you will always always do well that's just how it it works compounding is such a powerful powerful thing so now let's play a little game yeah a little game for you you're not gonna like this but i'm gonna enjoy (laughs) this very much so so we're gonna play a little game it's called this or that and you have to pick one of the two options you cannot be like no i'm not gonna do either you have to pick oh man okay all right, so let's start with this: gold or Bitcoin? Oh, jeez, uh, <laughs> gold. Ethereum or silver? I'm going to assume that I've already got gold from the previous question, so I'll go Ethereum. <laughs> Ethereum or Bitcoin? Bitcoin. Dogecoin or Ethereum? Ethereum. Dogecoin or AMC? Oh, AMC. <laughs> oh man, I should have done something else. Dogecoin or GameStop? GameStop. AMC or Tesla? Ooh. Uh, Tesla. Dogecoin or Tesla? Tesla. I was trying to trip you up there. All right. Now, this one should be a little bit easier. Apple or Microsoft? Okay. Oh, that's harder. <laughs> um, Usually, people have Apple like one of people have a favorite, one or the other. Probably. And you use Apple. Microsoft example all the time. So, which one? Yeah. Probably Apple. 
Apple. Facebook or Google? Google. Amazon or SRG? SRG. I knew that That's was a no brainer. Gonna... <laughs> I knew that was the way you were going to go with. All right. Facebook or Amazon? Facebook. Facebook or Tesla? Facebook. Tesla or Apple? Apple. This is too many. I'm, I'm, I'm not doing any more of those because you're just going to go with the one that makes more sense. All right. Berkshire <laughs> yeah. or the S&P 500? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Berkshire. All right. Spring or fall? Mm, spring. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Lynch or Buffett? Buffett. Monish or Lynch? Monish. Monish or Buffett? Buffett. I'm surprised. That was a big one. <laughs> I'm surprised. I'm really surprised there. All right. Uh, Munger or Buffett? Oh, <laughs> gotta go, Buffett. Sorry, Charlie. <laughs> All right, Kathy Wood or Elon Musk? Oh. Uh, Elon. Okay, Elon. All right. Thank you for playing the game. This or that. If anybody no, that gets hard. on you after you listen to this, well, you pick the options. <laughs> I had no choice. <laughs> well, I had one choice. <laughs> But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Before we get out of here, I have some final simple questions. Uh, what is your favorite investing book of all time? Hmm. The John Doe Investor. I thought that was going to be your answer, which is why I was shocked when you picked Buffett over Monish. But yeah, I feel you. And then, well, with with Monish, you you get a lot of you get a lot of Buffett already, I suppose. I don't, yeah, I don't know. That's true. That's true. <laughs> All right. So, and finally, what is one advice that you give to every, which you've given a bunch of advice listening to this, but what's one more advice that you give to every new investor and every new person that is just now like they're, maybe they just started working and they're like, yo, how do I get into this game? Or maybe they're just even younger than that. They haven't even started working, but they're like, I want to start preparing myself for the future. Mm. Um, yeah, we've probably already covered this a bit, but um, I would say investing is is not that complicated you can make it very complicated if you want to but the approach is is fairly simple so basically all you've got to do is find some way that is going to compound your money so that might be an s p 500 index or maybe it's picking individual companies or maybe it's real estate or something that produces cash flow and grows over a period of time um put money into that consistently um Spend the spend less than you earn. Uh, one way I've found to to do that is to, um, and you you can take this too far. You've got to live your life as well at the end of the day too. But um, if you're looking at ways to convince you to not buy a new iPhone every year or something, um, <laughs> what I would do is put the cost of an iPhone into a compound interest calculator and compound that iPhone price at eight percent for forty years because that amount, which will be probably like. I don't know, $100,000 or something is what you're essentially giving away an opportunity cost when you go and spend that money on the new iPhone. So that's a nice life hack for you as well. <laughs> I like to tell people like, I say, every time you spend a dollar today, it's costing you like 80 bucks later on. So think yeah. about that every yeah. time you make a decision to spend money. So, but yeah, so what's one quote and we'll close out with this. What's one quote that says everything about you and your investing style in one quote. Oh man. Um, 
because I know you got lots, but I want to I just say, like, what's the one that you probably fall back on? I got lots, yeah, lots of quotes, narrowing it down to one. Um, actually, one, this might not be one you entirely expect, but this is one that I've been starting to think about more and more lately, which is uh, I'm, an inve- I'm a better investor because I'm a businessman and I'm a better businessman because I'm an investor. That's a, that's a Buffett quote that I quite like. I've never heard that one. I like that quote. Mm. Yeah, it's basically if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you know, if you're, um, and I've never run my own business, but I've been, you know, involved in in running companies. It's, you know, if you are under the pressure of um, of having to make payroll every week and you know make decisions about how to price your products or investing in in new ventures within your company, um, and you're also an investor, you're going to have a much better um, understanding of how to allocate capital within your business. And if you're a businessman and you've had to do those things, then you're going to be able to understand other businesses much more easily than you would otherwise be able to. So that's one that I quite like. That's the, that's a good double edged sword. Mm. That's a good, I like it. I like it. Well, thank you so much, Tom, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on here and sharing so much. I mean, I, I stole you for a long time, so I appreciate you spending all of this time with me today and just sharing your wisdom with us on the podcast. No, I appreciate you having me on, Kalichi. I, I see you in, in my comment section all the time, so I thought I'd um, better re- repay the engagement by coming on the podcast. So thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, for sure. But guys, go check out Tom. I'm going to put a link to all his stuff, his YouTube channel, his Twitter, which he just started getting more active on Twitter and his instagram and also his podcast which he always has interesting guests and i learned so much from his podcast but go check him out i hope you guys learned one maybe two things out of this entire thing which i bet you've learned two three four five six seven eight on to infinity number of things listening to this podcast so thank you guys once again for listening remember generosity is always greater than greed god bless each and every single one of y'all and we're out of here peace